Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. This is Let's Go Blues Radio. I am your host, Jeff Ponder. This is Season 8, Episode 18, Franchise Episode number 204. Big thanks to the Wild and Free for the use of their song, Fire. Tom Calhoun, make sure you check him out over at paguytom.com. Also, uh, make sure you check out his Books on Tape, which can be found there. Uh, obviously, Tom has the world's best speaking voice, if you ask me. Also, check out the letsgoblues.com shop and uh, buy yourself a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. And if you can, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to letsgobluesradio.com. Probably don't say this enough that we are on Spotify. You can find us there as well if you have not uh, found us there yet. Uh, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if uh, you feel inclined. We would love that. Thank you very much to those that have done that. Well, this is uh, where we keep the party going, and uh, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a little interesting one again, but uh, hey, uh, cue up that music there, Wild and Free, because uh, we're going to keep the party going. So again, we're going to do something a little different this time, because I do not have another email to read, so again... For anyone who would like to contribute to this segment, uh, email us at radio at letsgoblues.com. That's radio at letsgoblues.com. And uh, yeah, write us, let us know what you thought of the Blues Championship run, what it meant to you, uh, how long you've been a fan, um, how important this was to you, your family, your friends. Uh, if you're in town, whatever you want to talk about. Again, if, you, if this is your first Behind Enemy Lines episode, you can uh, tune in to old episodes, anything that's marked Behind Enemy Lines. Here are the emails we have gotten before. Some have been kind of uh, uh, clinging to the heartstrings. Some have just been positive. It's, it's You know what, though? At the end of the day, it's all been great. Uh, we've appreciated every email we've gotten. And we want to hear more. So, uh, again, radio at letsgoblues.com. And uh, keep the party going with us, won't you? So in this one, since, again, we don't have an email to read, I wanted to share something from uh, somebody that that I think is an excellent writer, does great work uh, for St. Louis Game Time. She's been around there forever. Just, again, just an unbelievable job. Just true fan speaking you know whenever i read uh and i'm talking about Hildy mac uh that's what she goes by on the sites so that's what i'm gonna call her i don't know if she wants me to say her real name 
but uh, Hildy Mack does such a good job. Um, she always speaks from the heart, and uh, you know, obviously, she does a lot of the uh, the news type posts as well, and those are obviously written a little differently. But uh, yeah, I, I I love she's a good follower on Twitter. Again, that's at uh, Hildy Mack. Uh, H-I-L-D-Y-M-A-C but she posted something it was looking at the time I think it was posted uh, the night of the Blues winning the cup and I'm guessing she probably penned this late in the third period and kind of posted it up uh, you know just calling the St. Louis Blues champions Uh, I loved this when it came out I didn't see it till the next day I'll admit because I was keeping the party going let's say that night uh, but this was posted at about 9.45 uh, the night of June 12th. So, again, that was the night the Blues won the Cup. I just wanted to share this post if you haven't seen it, uh, give you a little glimpse into what St. Louis Game Time does because they do a fantastic job if you've never checked out Game Time. And, of course, if you uh, go to games, make sure you buy the uh, the paper version that they sell outside the arena Again, that's St. Louis game time. They have vendors all over outside the arena. Uh, they do a great job. Every entrance, I believe, they've, they've got a vendor. So also you can uh, go to stlouisgametime.com, read stuff there. And then also uh, they have uh, you can subscribe to get the uh, PDF version of the paper before every home game. Uh, it's somewhere on their site. But, uh, yeah, they, they, do all, they all do a great job. Uh, Jeff Jones, friend of the show, uh, Dan Buffa, all those guys, they do a great job. And, of course, again... Hildy Mack does a great job. She's been there as long as I can remember. So I wanted to share this post real quick. Uh, These St. Louis Blues are Stanley Cup champions. Subheadline, good things come to those who wait. The post is is very, uh, it's small, but I think it says a lot. So uh, she says, we will have a recap later and all of the news that's fit to type, but I wanted to get this post up here to celebrate after 52 years of waiting and praying and frustration and hope, your St. Louis Blues have won the Stanley Cup. This one's for everyone who couldn't be there, for everyone in the diaspora, everyone who wants to be at home, and everyone who would never dream about leaving it. It's for Bobby and Bernie and Al and Brett and every other Blue who should have ridden down Market Street with the Cup. Congrats, everyone. They did it. We did it. This has been the most magical hockey season that I can ever remember and that most of you can remember as well. Enjoy the off season. Go get some rest. Call into work tomorrow. Celebrate. Play Gloria. And uh, if you check out this post, again, it's just called the St. Louis Blues or Stanley Cup Champions over at stlouisgametime.com. There's 190 comments on there right now. Um, they're all obviously from that night and then maybe a couple days after uh, but uh, there's wild fans that are congratulating us, uh, Capitals fans. There's some great posts in there, just people kind of doing what we're doing uh, electronically here, uh, talking about um, you know how important this was to them. And then a lot of Capitals fans were chiming in, you know, and, and congratulating us because obviously this was something uh, they had gone through the year before. So uh, this was uh, this was very cool to uh, to, to see and, and read through those comments. So again, I, I encourage you to go to stlouisgametime.com, look for this post. It was on June 12th, and then of course just uh, any other post from St. Louis Game Time. They do a fantastic job. I love everything they've done. Those that have followed this show know that we are big supporters of them. So uh, yes, St. Louis Game Time again. Can't say it enough. Great job from those people. You ever want to read a good? Blues fan perspective blog, 
uh, make sure you check them out because uh, they they are probably the best out there. Well, let's get to our guest for this episode. I am speaking with Chris Faber from the Canucks Conversation podcast, and we talk a little blues and Canucks. That includes uh, those teams, those much, much hated teams that uh, the Canucks put on the ice there in the early 2000s. And, of course, one of the biggest topics we talk, Bennington versus Pedersen for the Calder, which this was recorded in uh, late July, so we had already seen that uh, Pedersen had won. But uh, we, I, I did kind of make my case for Bennington, but you know, I will say at the end of the day, I did agree with Pedersen getting it just because that's how the cookie crumbles. But uh, yeah, still, we do talk about it, and uh, Chris is a very knowledgeable hockey fan that uh, definitely voices his opinion on why Pedersen was and should be the winner in his opinion. This is Jeff, and today we are talking Vancouver Canucks of on Let's Go Blues Radio behind enemy lines. I am joined today by Chris Faber of the CanucksArmy.com and the Canucks Conversation Podcast. Uh, we'll talk to Chris here in a little bit about the Canucks, but first I want to mention a couple of important stats here. The Blues' all-time record against the Canucks, 191 games played, 99 wins, 65 losses, 18 ties, and 10 overtime losses. The first meeting between these teams occurred on October 12, 1970. That was uh, in St. Louis as a 4-1 win for the Blues. A couple notable marks on the uh, Blues and Canucks history. Wayne Gretzky's first game as a St. Louis Blue was in Vancouver on February 29, 1996. Uh, he had one goal in a 2-2 tie. And then Brian Elliott's first shutout as a St. Louis Blue came on October 26, 2011 in Vancouver, 32 saves in a 3-0 win. So, uh, yeah, Wayne Gretzky, the uh, the greatest Blues player of all time. That's how everybody knows him. And, uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, I want to come into you and, and talk to you about uh, the Vancouver Canucks. I appreciate you coming on today, and um, hopefully uh, you're, uh, you're not too jealous of the Blues finally able to Get the Lord Stanley's Cup, because I know Vancouver fans are clamoring for it as much as Blues fans were. Oh, no, I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. <laughs> uh, there's a thing that we got up here in Vancouver. Radio's kind of made it famous called the Sad Club, and it's uh, it's the teams that have been in a league for over 20 years, almost 30 years plus, and, and haven't won a Stanley Cup or won their championship. So it consisted of the Blues and the Canucks for um, for years now, I guess. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for you guys, and I'm also happy that you beat Boston after what happened to us in 2011. It's it's funny because man, that is that is like the consensus. That's just everybody has said to me on this show. You know, we were just rooting for you because we didn't want Boston to win. Hey, you know what? I'll take that. What'd you tell the Boston <laughs> guys when you talked to him? Oh, that was uh, that was fun. He he even told me he when he was reliving through the uh, the nineteen series or the the most recent series. He said, uh, "Yeah, man, this is like therapy for me. I've been trying to avoid <laughs> talking about it." And he's like, "Now I've got to." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'm going to make it, man. It, I think, right? Accepting yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yep, yep. He needs to accept it. Uh, so, uh, again, these teams have been around for a while. You mentioned the 30-plus years. Vancouver came in in uh, 1970 was their first season, 1970, 71. Uh, but uh, before that happened, when the Blues got their franchise in 1967, a little interesting footnote in uh, Blues and Canucks history so the uh, the the Blues were one of the teams, obviously that uh, that got the Fran the the uh, uh, what's it called the expansion six along with Oakland, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. Um, and uh, 
the Blues actually did not even turn in an application. Uh, the James Norris Jr., who was the president owner, uh, principal owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, he was trying to get a team there in St. Louis because he owned the Checker Dome as we know it in St. Louis, but the old arena there uh, in uh, off Oakland Avenue for Blues fans. If uh, you've been by that area, uh, he wanted to get a basically be rid of it and get it to the NHL. And uh, he basically said he will uh, he will turn down any expansion vote if they don't give St. Louis a franchise. The funny part about that was Vancouver was actually a leader in making very public statements that they were going to join the league, that they wanted to, that they were very interested. Uh, but then, anyway, it seemed that uh, something something occurred, uh, that little things down the line, nothing's really been ever publicly said. But uh, the, there was a word that Toronto Maple Leaf owners Stafford Smythe and Harold Ballard, uh, they wanted to build a, a downtown NHL arena but uh, that was uh, that was vetoed. That was that was turned down uh, by the uh, the Vancouver City. So uh, interesting, but uh, still, three years later, got your franchise. But um, I have to ask. I mean, I know obviously you're you're a younger man, so I know you don't remember this. <laughs> but uh, how much has been said of uh, Vancouver kind of being being left out of that expansion six? Do uh, do fans even know that side of the story? Well, I'm going to go with fans my age probably. Don't. I don't think my parents were actually born uh, when that was going down. So that does make me, I guess, way too young to talk about it. But, you know, at the same time, Vancouver's going to be celebrating their 50th season this year somehow. I think they did the math wrong on that, though. I believe it's actually only our 49th season. Uh, that's that's something that's been kind of talked about on Canucks Twitter. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of surprising there with a little tie-in with Chicago. I feel like I came on here to talk Canucks, but I'm, I'm learning more than, than anything right now, Jeff. You're preaching to me. <laughs> There you go. You know, it's funny. You uh, you mentioned that this is the 50th year for, Van- for Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, you could just be like the Montreal Canadiens and celebrate your uh, 100th milestone like four seasons in a row. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how long they keep this 50 going for. I know they got the nice patched up logo and the new jerseys, which are absolutely the exact same. They just took Vancouver off the top of the logo. So they're, they're trying to be like bright and new for season 50, but they really didn't change a lot. But uh, we will get to see our 1994 jerseys this year for season 50. We're excited to bring back the uh, the old black and yellow flying skate jerseys. Vancouver's stoked to get those back in rotation here. I think the NHL is stoked to get those back. I uh, Man, I, I miss those jerseys. When they switched, I, I was like, you know, it's probably time for a switch when it happened. But now that I look back, I'm like, man, those are sweet jerseys. They need to bring those back. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that, that's hard about those is, and I, I think this about a lot of hockey logos, like the best hockey logos are ones that kids can draw, right? And that, yeah. that one's kind of a struggle for a kid to draw because it's it's a tough look. Like, I think growing up, I, did, I had no idea it was a skate. You know, I, I used to hear uh, a plate of spaghetti as well. A lot of people used to call it up here. <laughs> it looks like a, a plate of spaghetti instead of a flying skate, so... After a while, yeah, I picked up the mustard yellow jersey myself. I got the Trevor Linden jersey hanging in my room. Just an absolutely disgusting-looking jersey, the all-yellow one that we used to have as an alternate. But uh, Canucks fans are super excited. I know we wore those black flying skate jerseys. I think it was three years ago now we wore them for one game, and people just lost their minds. I mean, we love seeing those jerseys. Like, I know that the Hartford Whalers logo comes up as one of the best, and that jersey obviously is just gorgeous with the colors that they have. But something about those jerseys, I know here in Vancouver – when we heard about a jersey change, we were excited because we we're like, wow, hopefully they can do something big, even not necessarily go back to that, but almost like remodel that and move into the future. When when they just took off the the name crest on top of our jersey, it was kind of like, uh, what the hell? Like we were hoping yeah. for something big, and then all they do is get rid of Vancouver. It's like, this is BC's team now, or British Columbia, which is a province up here. 
Um, but yeah, we were hoping for a little bit more, but we're happy to get those jerseys back. Obviously, 94 was a great time for the Canucks. Uh, it's, it's one of the best teams we've had in our franchise history. But uh, yeah, we're just excited to get those jerseys back because uh, I'm excited to see Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser rocking those things, a lot of our stars. We're excited to see the new the new wave of players kind of bring in those jerseys for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, that'll be nice. Now, you mentioned uh, the 94 team, the team that went to the Stanley Cup final, lost uh, uh, famously to the New York Rangers in uh, uh, Mark Messier's big uh, uh, bringing the cup back to New York. I know that's a heartbreaker. It probably still hurts to talk about for a lot of people, but uh, that was one hell of a Vancouver team. There was there was so many. Uh, There's a couple Blues players on there that that really, uh, or former Blues players, I should say, that really kind of uh, uh, made that team just uh, uh, kind of rounded them out, I guess. A lot of people say the trade the Blues made with them um, that that brought that team together. Uh, Jeff Brown coming in was uh, was obviously a big player for them. Um, and uh, Jeff Cortnall was another one, another former Blue. Brett Hedekin was also on that team. So a lot of former Blues. Uh, um, and, and just, But really, you look at the name that sticks out to me, and I think everyone will, will agree that uh, uh, Pavel Bore, was just a phenomenal player, and uh, you know, kind of moving ahead here, talking about the ninth, the first time these two teams met in the Stanley Cup playoffs, nineteen ninety five. The next year, uh, Pavel Bore had six, uh, scored six in the seven games. It was a seven game series. Let me let me get this right. Pavel Bore scored six goals, and uh, two of them were in Game Seven. He had fourteen points in the series as the Blues beat the uh, the I'm sorry, the Canucks beat the Blues in uh, seven games in that series. So again, Pavel Bore, not just talking about that series alone, but just an incredible hockey player, one of the most fun people to watch. People talk about how Connor McDavid, you know, he's making these 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 moves with his hands while he's still skating in stride, and we've never seen that before. I beg to differ. Pavel Bore was doing that in the 1990s and the late 80s, and uh, to me, one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Yeah, absolutely. And as Vancouver Canucks fans, when we saw that Elias, what Elias Pettersson did this year, you know, going up and tying the rookie record that was set by the guy that you just praised on there for a little bit in Pavel Burry, like that got us super excited because we we always wanted to like compare players here in Vancouver when we have a new guy come in. Like when Pettersson came and Besser came, it was like, oh, these are the new Sedins. We have a passer and a scorer. But seeing the fact that Pettersson just came in and what he immediately did, you know, tying the, or beating the rookie record, sorry, of Pavel Burry, and that was something that we had, I mean, in his second year, he just tore up the league and just took off from there. I know that that's kind of the age where I first was exposed to hockey was, you know, those those mid-90s and I guess a little bit into the later 90s when he was traded to Florida as well. But it was it was a lot of fun watching Pavel Burry, man. Like, he, he did things that, that you see players nowadays almost struggle with, right? And back then it was insane to see him, like, pass the puck off of his skate back to his stick. People were just like, I, I've never seen this before. What the hell is this? And, you know, he was able to do that. And he was just, he was ahead of his time pretty much, I think, at that point. Yeah, he was. Let me ask you. So, obviously, Pavel Bore has got to rank up there for the one of your favorite Canucks of all time. But of that era, the, the 94, like 95, 96, 97 teams, you mentioned Trevor Linden. Uh, who was probably your favorite Canuck of those times? Yeah, uh, like I just mentioned, I got the Linden jersey hanging up. Obviously, was a huge fan of Trevor Linden and what he did for the city of Vancouver. I uh, love Jeff Cortnell as well. Uh, he's, I'm on Vancouver Island myself. He's a Vancouver Island guy. And uh, Yerky Lume was, you know, probably the best offensive defenseman that we've ever had. And that, I think on that team as well, we had a, um, a young Michael Pekka as well, I think, before we traded him off. I think he was on that team. Uh, lots of those players in that age obviously kind of – 
it's a different um, it's a different era, I think, at that time. I mean, it was right it was right before a few years before the Sedins kind of took over and took the reins for the Vancouver Canucks for the, what was the next twenty seasons. But that group of guys, I know Cliff Ronning was obviously a fan favorite, and the thing about these players like Lyndon Cornell and, and Ronning, I mean, they're still hanging around Vancouver. Like people see them on the streets all the time. I know that there was what uh, Cliff Ronning was at my last podcast meetup. Just he was on the other side of the bar, and we're all Canucks fans in this private room looking across. We're like, oh my god, like this is crazy. Like just seeing that they're still hanging out in Vancouver because obviously Vancouver is a great city to live in if you have the money to to pay to live there. But right. um, it's cool to have these guys kind of stay around and be part of the of the city still as well. And I think that's why. They were such fan favorites back then, and that 94 team is just so so legendary to Canucks fans, obviously making it so close and, and almost getting over the top and winning a Stanley Cup. But, yeah, that's – I mean, Trevor Linden and Pavel Bray, it's hard to argue against those two. I think a lot of people, you know, in their 40s or 30s right now would tell you that those two are, are their two favorite Canucks of all time. So you mentioned the Sedins, obviously two guys that are up there as among the favorites for probably any Canucks fan. Um, guys that I'll admit drove me crazy because I hated <laughs> playing against them. Um, but, uh, yeah, they were, uh, they were drafted in 99 together, uh, uh, at the, in the same draft by the same team. Uh, Brian Burke had to pull some pretty miraculous stuff to make that happen. Um, so I want to ask you, and I know that you were, you were a uh, young man at the time, but, Stories you've heard, maybe, uh, you know, anything you've heard in, in your passing with talking with former Canucks or um, even anybody in the organization. Um, how how much was that planned by 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 Canucks management? I mean, was it a we have got to get these two guys, let's do whatever we can, trade whatever we can? Or was it did it just kind of all come together the day of the draft to make that happen? Well, yeah, from, from the stories I have heard about this, it was it's probably one of the best moves we've ever heard from a general manager make during a draft day. I mean, the fact that you can move up, get second and third pick overall, it's absolutely insane to think about because these twins, they they were going into this draft expecting to be drafted by different teams and be NHL players on different teams. They said they didn't really know until the night before that this was something that could end up happening. And Brian Burke pulled off one of the craziest things we've probably ever seen in an NHL draft, being able to draft identical twins two and three and you know the funny thing is I mean they're they are the best players in that draft year it's, it's just crazy to think about that it was possible back then like imagine nowadays somebody trading up and getting the second and third overall picks in a draft it's absolutely insane to think about but back then you know when we drafted those sitting twins the Vancouver Canucks have always kind of had a good connection with Sweden and it kind of goes back to when they traded for Marcus Naslin and the scouting staff that we've had run by Thomas Grudin right now in the Sweden section is amazing. I mean, we just picked Niels Hoglander in the past draft here. Elias Pettersson, we picked number five, which some people believed was a stretch at the time. It uh, doesn't really look like that anymore. So no. that was kind of what started. Um, you know, when we, I mean, we've obviously had a lot of great Swedish players in the Vancouver organization. And it's, it's funny to hear Elias Pettersson even talk about, like, I know there was a picture that went around of him this year wearing a Vancouver shirt. And he's like, well, that's what we always heard about in Sweden. It was Vancouver. Vancouver is such a great place to live. And I think it it almost started, I guess, before the Sedins a little bit, but that really cranked it up. When the Sedins became Vancouver Canucks and were lifetime Canucks, uh, you know, the country of Sweden seems to be following the Vancouver Canucks, which is really exciting for us because uh, I know a lot of people in 2011 hated the Vancouver Canucks. So at least we got a country behind us. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the Sedins are, are right there on my list. I mean, there there's actually been a lot of Canucks, and we'll mention a couple of them here that uh, – have driven me a little crazy over the years. And the Sedins, <laughs> it was more just that they were so good and so dynamic and so lethal on the power play that it was just, 
ah, just don't ever take a penalty against the Canucks. You can't because they're going to score no matter what. And uh, I think a lot of people thought that was what drive them through in the 2011 playoffs was how good their power play was and how good those two guys were and how you could pretty much slot almost anybody on that, on that first line with them. And they would be productive because those two just had a knack for not only finding each other, but finding their teammates up and down the ice all the time. Yeah, absolutely. They, they pretty much invented the slap pass. It was something that we never really saw before that too much. And, and like you mentioned there, I mean, they could play with anybody. They ended up playing with Alex Burroughs, who was a guy who was playing in floor hockey leagues a couple of years before playing with the Vancouver Canucks. You know, he makes his way through the ECHL up to the AHL, does a good job with the Manitoba Moose at the time, then gets an opportunity to play with the Sedins. And that was, that was kind of like the final piece to the puzzle for the Vancouver Canucks when they were going to make that big run in 2011. I know, it, you know, it kind of actually really started – with the year that they actually ended up beating the St. Louis Blues in 2009 uh, in that playoffs, that was one that was really, you know, the Canucks could finally win again. And the, the, we knew that team was good. We knew the West Coast Express was what, obviously, Bertuzzi, Morrison, and Naslin. They were a great line together. They had some good success in the early 2000s. But when we when we kind of moved into 2008, 2009, this team was, you know, a, a lot different. And that was kind of run by the Sedins. We had guys like Ryan Kessler on a second line. But we had the Sedins that – that needed to step up and show that they could win a playoff series. And I, and uh, I guess they showed that uh, pretty hard against your blues in that one in the quarterfinals at the sweep that year. And that, that was kind of the beginning. I think of the Canucks thinking that like, wow, we could, we could be a team that could compete for a Stanley cup for the next couple of years. Yeah. I remember that was uh, that year. The, uh, the blues ended up finishing sixth. And for those that may not remember, that was the year that uh, the blues were in, in dead last. I want to say in, in January and it, you kind of draw parallels, I guess, to this past season for the Blues, but obviously the playoffs did not turn out as good for them. Uh, this was the Blues' first return to the playoffs uh, since the NHL lockout in 0405. And and I remember going in and looking at the potential matchups because the, the West was so cluttered, uh, uh, especially the the bottom five, six, seven, and eight teams. And, and you were just looking, okay, who do we want to play? Okay, uh, let's see. We don't want to play them. We don't want to play them. Ooh, Vancouver, that one's interesting. Yeah. We could play the Canucks. And so when the Blues moved up to sixth and the Canucks stayed in third, it was, hey, this is the team we wanted. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. Uh, the uh, the Canucks, they, like you said, the Sedins just dominated that series. Um, they, uh, they, the defense was fantastic. Uh, uh, we mentioned uh, guys like TJ Oshie, Patrick Berglund, and then, of course, Keith Kachuk in the latter part of his career. They all had zero points in the series, um, but really the the one that stands out to me uh, is Roberto Luongo, your goalie, who uh, unfortunately just retired from the NHL in that series. For those that may not remember, and, and I know people were cursing his name in St. Louis because he stood on his head, 962 save percentage, one shutout, five goals against on 131 shots, absolutely dominated the Blues in that series, and really the Canucks did as well. You mentioned Burroughs on that top line. Him and the Sedins really just kind of were the catalyst for everything. Uh, three goals and nine points total for both the Sedins, playing mostly against Barrett Jackman and Roman Polak, the Blues' top pairing. So, yeah, that was um, – and I'll tell you that going into that series, that was kind of the stigma with Vancouver. It was – you know, San Jose has always had that, well, they're a good team, but they can never win. They can never right. win in the playoffs. That's kind of what people were looking at Vancouver as – and I think you're right. When when they came in and, and the hottest team in the league, the St. Louis Blues, and they came in and swept them in four games, I think that that proved to the NHL that Vancouver was ready for the big time. 
Yeah, and then the following series kind of started another rivalry for the Vancouver Canucks for the next pretty much four years with the Chicago Blackhawks because we ended up losing in seven to the Blackhawks. But uh, another, I know you wanted to talk about some connections. We also had Pavel Dimitra on our team, actually, uh, in that run playing against the Blues there. So that was a little connection. I know he's a longtime Blue for you guys as well. But, yeah, that was the first season that uh, Burroughs actually started playing with the Sidings as well, and that just kind of clicked, and we're like, okay, something is happening here. I mean, Burroughs put up 28 goals that year. We also added Matt Sundin at the, at the mid part of the That's season, right. which, is, uh, which is also one of the crazier stories in Vancouver hockey uh, history over the past little bit here. But but the team that we had there that year, I mean, it was, it was definitely the core pieces were built for what was going to end up being our Stanley Cup team. But we were kind of missing, like, the little bit of extra work that we needed in our bottom six, which we ended up adding – going into the 2011 season. But it, like what you just said there, pretty much, we we always thought like the West Coast Express teams never really went on a run, but there was like a different feel about that 20, you know, 2008 to kind of 2012 Canucks roster. Like that team looked like they could win in the playoffs just because of what you mentioned earlier about the power play. I mean, it was an unreal power play that we had set up. The Sedins were absolutely magic. They could control a puck for two full minutes in the zone. And then after the power play was over, they'd have another fun for another minute and then score a goal. Like it was, it was so much fun to watch those guys. We actually had defensemen that could contribute offensively. Um, just thinking about that right now, looking at the Canucks team right now, I kind of get a little sad actually thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, guys like, uh, well, Alexander Edler was a young man then. And I thought he was, uh, he looked very good for the Canucks then. Obviously, Willie Mitchell, Matthias Oland, who was a, a longtime Canuck. And then, yeah, you mentioned the some of the forwards. Like, you know, yeah, you talk about the Sedins, you talk about Boros in the top line, but Pavel Dimitra, Matt Sundin, I mean, that that team was stacked. Uh, you know, guys that, uh, that were contributing on the lower half of the um, of the uh, roster, too, like Mason Raymond, Rick Rippon. Those guys just, uh, they, they were role players that did all the right things. And I remember just after the first game of that series thinking, Oh boy, you know, this is, uh, this is not what I was expecting. And just, they were clicking, they clicked that entire series. And, you know, maybe part of it was the blues were gassed, you know, they, they basically been playing playoff hockey since January, but, uh, just looking at that roster and, and just thinking about that series, the blues were way outmatched. And, um, and then I think, like you said, you saw it again there in 2011, um, not, not the exact same team, but a lot of the same core pieces were there. And, uh, unfortunately, one game away from winning the Stanley Cup, uh, lost in the, the uh, to, to the hands of the Boston Bruins, which, Dora, we got them back for you. So Thank you. Thank everything, you. everything's good there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, we made Brad Marchand cry, so, you know, we got that going for us. <laughs> you should see uh, how many, like, profiles on Twitter have that as their, like, uh, their main picture or whatever it's called, their display picture kind of thing. Like, as soon as that happened, that was, like, everyone that I saw on Twitter tweeting right after that, was pretty much just Brad Marchand pictures. So thank you for that. You guys made something like trend in Vancouver from winning that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, my favorite was the uh, it's a fake reaction video, but I like to act like it was real. It was a uh, as called like it said like at the top like a, a bar in Vancouver, and yeah. it showed everybody watching the uh, Stanley Cup final. And the minute they showed Brad Marchand crying, everybody stands up and starts cheering and yelling. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, no, I really enjoyed that as well because, uh, yeah, I, I am not a Brad Marchand fan, nor am I a Boston Bruins fan. So that kind of made it a little bit sweeter for us here in St. Louis as well. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about. Um, we talked about the uh, the the Naslin Bertuzzi Morrison line. Kind of want to step back a little bit and talk about them as well um, before we get into uh, uh, this past season's things. We want to talk about with our two rookies that were so big. Um, 
Yeah, the 2003, the Blues uh, met the Vancouver Canucks in 2003. Uh, Vancouver beat the Blues in seven games. And this was a this was a big deal to the Blues because uh, if you talk to past Blues, I already mentioned, mentioned Keith Kachuk from the 09 team, but uh, I know guys like Chris Osgood, Doug Waite, a lot of them, and I've even talked to reporters of the time um, that have said this was the Blues' chance to win the Cup. And and for me, I thought it was the 01 team. The 01 team that beat uh, the uh, um, uh, – who they beat in the first round? San Jose, Dallas, and then lost to Colorado in the conference final. That was the team that I thought was the only chance the Blues would have to win the Cup. But if you talk to Blues players, they say the way that it worked out, 2003 should have been the year – that the St. Louis Blues at least went to the Stanley Cup final. This was the year the Avalanche were knocked out by the Minnesota Wild. The Mighty Ducks, who ended up going to the Stanley Cup final that year, knocked out the Red Wings in the first round. It just seemed like a good path for the Blues if they could get past Vancouver. And lo and behold, they went up 3-1 in the series, outscored Vancouver 14-4 in the first four games, and it just looked like destiny, like this was going to happen. The Blues have their veteran goalie finally, and Chris Osgood, who can uh, bring this team around. You mentioned Pavel Dimitra. He was on that team. Pronger, McInnes. I mean, just this team was loaded. And, um, yeah, they, they ended up uh, getting the 3-1 lead. And then, uh, unfortunately for the Blues, uh, were outscored by the Canucks 13-7 to in the final three games. Now, the thing I want to talk to you mostly about with this team, again, the Bertuzzi-Morrison-Naslin line, seven goals, 15 points in that series. And, um, man, uh, I want to say, uh, I think Bertuzzi had over 30 penalty minutes in the series, just an, a hated, hated individual. And I think Morrison and Naslin, it was more just because they were associated with Bertuzzi, but man, that was, they were public enemies one, two, and three in St. Louis for a long time after that series. Yeah. They, uh, they were the players that we kind of like grew up in my age, just being like, when you played hockey, road hockey, somebody wanted to be Nazan, someone wanted to be Bertuzzi, somebody wanted to be Morrison, and you kind of you kind of nailed it on the head. People hated Todd Bertuzzi, right? I mean, he he ran around, he hit everybody at the time, but then he would go up and score forty plus goals. I mean, he was yep. he was the best power forward in the league for a few years there, and I can totally understand how that line was hated on. And it's it's funny because it's it's three of the nicest guys when you meet them off the ice. It's you know Nazan's one of the softest guys you'll ever meet in person. Brendan Morrison actually has a fishing show now up in Vancouver, and he's just one of the most <laughs> nice guys ever. And uh, Todd Bertuzzi now doing radio with uh, Sportsnet 650 up here. And uh, yeah, like three of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But I can totally understand how they were hated. I mean, they were they were running the league at that point. I mean, that line was putting up 120 plus goals uh, for a few years there, and, and especially kind of hit that peak in 2002, 2003. So I mean, for the Blues to run into them with Trevor Linden still on this team, with the Sabines kind of emerging, and there were 22-year-old players then. That was kind of like their first uh, season that we kind of saw what the Sabines were all about as well. Like at age 22, I know Henrik was just starting to look like he was the passer, and Daniel was the scorer, and they were trying to find – I believe he was playing with Trent Klatt at the time back then, who was kind of a guy who was a veteran player in the league who was kind of helping the Sedins out. And the Sedins were actually learning so much from that West Coast Express line of Nazem Bertuzzi and Morrison because – they were the cream of the crop. I think at the time it was the West Coast Express and whatever they called the line in Ottawa there with Alfredson, Heatley, and Spezza. Like those two lines, I, I just remember growing up and thinking like those were the two most fun lines to watch. I remember playing the NHL video games and you would just turn the line changes off and playing with Ottawa and Vancouver against each other at the time because those lines are so much fun to play with in the video game. And at the same time, I mean, we had Ed Jovanovski on that team who 
who at the time was just kind of cranking up and looking like he was going to be on Team Canada for the next couple of years for the Olympics. So, yeah, that, that team that we had, I mean, it, in 2002, 2003, it, uh, it was a team that we also kind of thought at the time it was one of our better ones during that era of that line that we had when it was one of the best in the league. But I also – I put this out to my followers kind of before we started going here, and my followers are a lot smarter than me, actually. And uh, <laughs> they, they, they kind of asked because I said, what what uh, what memories do you guys have of the Blues and Canucks? And uh, Yerky21, one of the, my great followers, as I mentioned, brought up that Scott Mellenby's kids infected that whole St. Louis Blues lineup during the 2003 playoffs and helped them overcome from that series to deficit. But do you know any truth to the Scott Mellenby story? Yes, yes, that is true. Yeah, they uh, Mellenby's kids had gotten sick, and uh, they had uh, basically infiltrated the entire Blues locker room where guys were getting sick right before games, during games. And, uh, and yeah, it, it was a huge reason why the Blues fell apart there. It, it happened right after game four. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Mellonby, uh, uh, he said it before he's apologized for it because I mean, it, I mean, listen, the Canucks were a hell of a team, you know, they, they had guys that, that could complete the, uh, the, the, the comeback that they did, but yeah, they were definitely aided by the uh, fact that many of the blues players were very sick for the last three games of the series. Yeah, could it could also have been a little bit of the Roxy flu as well. I know uh, Big Walt is a big fan of the Roxy in Vancouver, the famous bar here where the players did attend quite a bit. Actually, Keith was at the Roxy at the NHL draft of this kid, probably showing him the ropes of that famous bar here in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the rest of the team, but I know um, one of the players that I remember from that series, and it was someone that uh, that I just thought was a great player kind of laying the body, super young at the time, Barrett Jackman, the defenseman that you guys had. He was uh, – he was kind of always a pain in the Canucks. Uh, he was kind of a thorn in our backside every single time we played against you guys. I know Bertuzzi ended up getting him in that series pretty hard. And uh, I just I always remember Jackman. He was a young guy and he came in the league. And I thought he – I never really watched him play too much. But every time he played the Vancouver Canucks, I thought he was one of the best defensemen on that team who had some very good defensemen already. Yeah, he um, – when he came up – so he was a Calder Trophy winner when he first came up. But um, – yeah, that that series, it's funny. A lot of people actually point back to that series and that hit that you mentioned by Bertuzzi yeah. um, kind of damaged his shoulder, and he honestly never really recovered. I mean, that was just his second year in the league, and he was looking like he was going to be the next great defensive defenseman. And, you know, and he had a fine career, not to take anything away from him, but after the lockout, uh, his, his hitting, his numbers went down in terms of hits and blocked shots, and, um, and they say that it's because he – had to kind of remodel his game because his shoulder never got back to 100%. Hmm. And uh, they, they always point back to the Bertuzzi hit from that series. So, so again, thank you, Todd Bertuzzi. <laughs> I can see why you guys hate him. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I guess just seeing what that, like, what that team was capable of and having so much potential at the same time. I mean, we saw the West Coast Express line was, was unreal. They were probably the best line in hockey at the time, debatably for sure. And we had Trevor Linden, who was kind of like the older veteran on the team still at the time, running the second line. And then we had the Sedins on a third line. So, I mean, like, that's that's pretty damn good. I'd be pretty happy with that going into the playoffs as my top nine. Um, so we were expecting big things at that point as well. I mean, I was still pretty young at the time. I think uh, that year was actually, like, the first year I went to a Canucks game. I remember seeing uh, Tom Bertuzzi score a hat trick, and they were playing Washington Capitals, scored a hat trick in a 6-5 game, had a penalty shot in overtime and scored the game. And I was, that was one of the first games I watched. And, like, I remember seeing people around me, and I was like, wow, I can't believe sports can make people do this. This is, this is like, so cool. Like, these people are going absolutely insane for this guy. Like, I, it was one of the first major sporting events I went to, and at the time I was like, I kind of just, like, fell in love with hockey that season at that point because it was – 
it was crazy. I just was like, how does, how does like a sport make these people go this insane and like throw their beers up in the air and like people are waving towels. It was so much fun. So that team kind of just uh, pretty much just kind of has my heart to say it like the most uh, cliche way or put that on a Hallmark card or something. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've told the story before that my first game was in the early nineties and uh, you know, I, I fell in love with hockey right away, but when I really got obsessed where like, I mean, you 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 can see the wall behind me, all the hockey <laughs> memorabilia I have. Like I, when I got obsessed with the sport in terms of playing and, and, and just watching and having to know everything going on in the league at all times, was actually uh, the it was it was in 1999 because uh, it was the same thing for me. I had only been to a couple. I think I'd been to one playoff game before that, and the Blues had gotten their butts kicked by the uh, by the Phoenix Coyotes. Mm-hmm. And the next year, I went when they played. I'm sorry, it was the next round they they played the uh, Dallas Stars, and Pavel Dimitra scored in overtime. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just seeing people hug and scream and yell and just random people giving me high fives. I mean, that was made me say, Oh my God, I, I love the sport and I love the people that are involved in it. So yeah. I, I've never turned back. So yeah, I'm with you. you. You get a moment like that. You mentioned the penalty shot, Todd Bertuzzi in overtime. I mean, that's, that's something you're going to remember the rest of your life. You'll be 90 thinking about your greatest hockey moments that you witnessed. And that's going to be up there. Absolutely. I, I picked up the uh, the disgusting Canucks alternate Todd Bertuzzi jersey that day. We kind of had this old like maroon uh, Canucks alternate jersey. I just thought it was so cool at the time. Looking back, it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Uh, but I guess I actually just wanted to ask you a question. Like, obviously, Vancouver and the surrounding areas is so good for like minor hockey. Like, I know St. Louis is also obviously you guys have a huge fan base for hockey. What's what's it kind of like in like the minor league or like the minors? of hockey at the young age and a junior level or at the guys that are playing pee with like, do you guys have a pretty good hockey program like around the city? Yeah, we do. Yeah. It's, it's actually really developed nicely because a lot of the former blues from the, the nineties and, and early two thousands have mm-hmm. stuck around and now they're coaching. Uh, Terry Yake is uh, a guy that um, stuck around St. Louis after his playing days. And uh, he's actually the, the president of the blues alumni does a lot of coaching. Jamie rivers is another guy, Jim Campbell, um, I mean, there's a ton. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm missing a lot here. I know McKinnis was coaching his kids' teams, uh, Tony Twist. And, and yeah, these guys, they stuck around and they built the sport. They've been great ambassadors. Uh, just a couple of years ago, the Blues had, I think it was five players drafted in the first round. Uh, or not Blues, St. Louis yeah. had five players drafted in the first round. I mean, it, and, and you keep seeing it. And obviously, some of those guys are, you know, the Kachucks. Both those guys have gone and they're both St. Louis boys. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's been quite the influx and, and it's funny cause we, we've been talking on this show about how Brett Hall in the early nineties, that was a, that was a big push to get hockey big in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Then you had the teams in the early two thousands that, um, really could have, could have won a Stanley cup, but just kept running against, uh, uh, tough, tough opponents that kept knocking them out. Um, and so that both those things combined, I think started getting hockey bigger and bigger. And, and, you know, you start seeing player, you know, kids that were my age being falling in love with the sport because of this. And so then you had that lull there in, in the mid two thousands and you're thinking, you know, okay, hockey's, we got to get it back. Hockey's dying again, yeah. not dying, but you know what I mean? I mean, not, not what it was. And, uh, but now with the Stanley cup and, and seeing things like what Jordan Bennington did, um, you know, I, I see these kids out there now. I mean, I literally was at a hockey rink and I heard a little kid, uh, he was shooting a tape ball around and his, his buddy was trying to stop it with his glove. And he's like, watch me. I'm Jordan Bennington, you know? And it's like, 
it's just it's really cool to see because uh, hockey has grown so much the last 20, 30 years. It started with Brett Hall, and then now you've got this this culmination to finally get the Stanley Cup, and you're seeing these kids. I mean, you go to hockey rinks, they're packed, and, and they're starting to build. We're building more rinks now because there's just so many kids that are wanting to play hockey, and not even kids. I mean, I have a guy uh, in his 50s that uh, joined my summer team, and he, he had never played on a team before. And and he's just like, I just wanted to play. And he's like, I'm sorry, I suck. And we're like, I'm like, dude, I don't care. Like, that's awesome. I I, I want more people playing hockey. So it's uh, it's been fun to watch. I know Vancouver, it's probably always been like that. And it's been like that in St. Louis for a while. But I think uh, the last the last 10, 15 years, I've really started to see a huge push in hockey. And I think it's because those Blues alumni stick around and really preach the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's something that gets talked about up here, obviously, I mean, anywhere you go in Canada, if you talk about the prairies or the West Coast or Toronto surrounding area, like hockey's number one. It's the thing that every kid plays growing up. But I know when I, when you kind of talk about the United States, it's like there's there's almost like hot pockets of, of hockey almost. It's kind of what we look at. And I, I always thought of St. Louis as one, so I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way and ask you. Yeah, so that's good to hear. Yeah, no, it is. And like I said, it's it's been growing. It, it's really kind of started, I think, uh, a little bit before my generation. I'm 34. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's only growing more and more. And I think with the Stanley cup and like I said, the, the story you mentioned, uh, I don't remember if it was, you mentioned at the start of this interview, the, um, the, the stories that went along with the blues winning the Stanley cup, the, the Layla, the Jordan Bennington, the Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, all of that going on, I think really kind of made this hockey, the hockey mad city. And, um, it's, it's been fun to watch and it's going to be interesting to see, uh, how much bigger it can get if the Blues can continue their success. Oh, man, it's going to get huge. I couldn't imagine yeah. what we're do after a Stanley Cup. You guys are going to be uh, – yeah, must, I'm sure ticket sales have gone through the roof after winning. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's just say I looked into some home opener tickets, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I would honestly have to probably sell my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I want to talk to you uh, some recent news here between the two teams. We've mentioned both our, our – Star rookies from the last year. Uh, El- Eli- I always say Elias. Is that right? Uh, Elias Pettersson. Elias. I, I used to, I, well, the, the thing is, I watched him in the SHL so many times, like the year before he came over. And the way that they pronounced his name over there was Elias Pettersson. So I'm saying that when he gets over here and everyone's like, what the hell's wrong with you? It's Elias ah. So like, yeah. I, I still like Pettersson. I think it sounds even better. But uh, when he kind of came over, he was just, you just call him PD. That's the easiest way to do it here. There you go. Yeah. No, Pedersen, and he's a heck of a talent. I mean, uh, going into the, in the into the last season, I remember everybody talking about how that guy is a, a, a shoe-in to uh, finish as a finalist for the Calder, and he proved it this year. 71, goal, uh, 71 games played, 28 goals, 38 assists, 66 points. Uh, just an unbelievable year. And uh, if you go up to, uh, to January, uh, which let's just specifically say January 7th, uh, there is no competition. Um, you know, you got uh, a couple guys scattered here and there uh, that are that are making a case, but really, Pedersen was was the odds-on favorite. No one's going to challenge him. Uh, but then all of a sudden, January seventh comes, and Blues fans know what date that is. Jordan Biddington gets his first start in the NHL, shuts out the Philadelphia Flyers, and uh, yeah, it, uh, it it just continues from there. Obviously, the story of Jordan Biddington, we all know it. Uh, went on in the season, 30 games started, 24-5-1 record, 1.89 GAA, 927 save percentage, 
five shutouts as a rookie. And then, of course, the uh, the the swagger that he carried into the locker room as well. People love to talk about. But let me ask you. So um, there was there was debate here in St. Louis. And I'll, I'll be honest that I thought once the season ended, I said it's still going to go to Pedersen. But Bennington's at least going to get a nomination. He's going to finish second, which is great. Uh, was was there any doubt in Vancouver as to whether Pedersen was going to win the Calder or not? And just the way things go in Vancouver, we were all like, watch watch Bennington go ahead and win this Calder Trophy. Like <laughs> just the way like everything goes for us with like all the draft lottery, like and everything. Like we've had so much bad luck in Vancouver. We're just thinking like, just give us this one thing. Like so, I obviously, obviously, if you were to take playoff consideration into it, I mean, Jordan Bennington had an unreal season as a rookie and. And Pedersen's first, I think it was 40, first 50 games pretty much. I know he had like 55 points or 54 points in his first 50 games. And that point when he kind of dropped off a little bit, obviously people started to know a little bit what he was up to. They knew where his shot was specifically going to come from on the right side. And that at that point, Jordan Bennington was just kind of catching the league by storm. He was at his first 13 starts at that point. He was 11-1-1 at the time. We're thinking – you know, we weren't really thinking too much about him, but then when you look at how he finished the season with it was twenty and five was his record. Uh yeah, twenty four and five. Twenty four and five. So like at that point, you start to worry a little bit as Canucks fans. Like, well, you know, a goalie isn't going to play every single game for the team, especially a guy who's a rookie. I'm sure that they're not wanting to play him every game, but that's kind of what the Blues had to do throughout the rest of the season. There, they ran with Bennington all the way to the end, and he put up numbers that were ridiculous. I mean. <laughs> It was, it was crazy to see what Bennington did. I mean, the five shutouts in those games and and what he played. Every, it seemed like every game that he lost, he came back and just was outstanding. So, we, we, yeah, we were worried a little bit about it at the time because Jordan Bennington, it's hard to argue. I mean, those stats are absolutely ridiculous. It's 930 save percentage or something like that in those starts. Obviously, we we're, were scared, but at the same time, we thought that Pedersen did kind of have it wrapped up. Like he mentioned in January, there wasn't really anybody close. A couple of injuries made it a little bit tough, but obviously – the hit from Matheson and then the getting tied up with Kokaniemi, uh, both of those kind of limited his season a little bit. It took him a couple games to be kind of back to what he was at. Um, but the, the, the only problem was like with Pedersen and, and don't get me wrong, like his season was unreal. I think he did everything and more than Canucks fans were excited to see. And we knew that he had some potential, obviously seeing him win MVP in the SHL. But when he closes out the season, his last 22 games only gets two goals after, uh, you know, he scored 10 in his first 10 games. And, and people are talking about him not only for Rookie of the Year, but for MVP. We're we're obviously going too crazy at that point, 10 games in. But uh, seeing him finish off the season like that and seeing Bennington come up so strong, you know, recency bias comes into play at the time when you start to think about it for Rookie of the Year. So, yeah, we were, we were worried about Bennington winning that thing for sure. Yeah, that was uh, that was the one case that, that I would – that I kind of like – believed in like like I said I thought Pedersen was going to win the whole time but I thought man if there is going to be a case for Bennington to win it you know you look and and I broke it up actually from when Bennington got his first start uh uh so Pedersen before January 7th 38 games played 22 goals 20 assists 42 points 42 points in 38 games as a rookie that's ridiculous I'll take that uh, after the Bennington start 33 games played 6 goals 18 assists 24 points Still good. I mean, 24 points in 33 games. That's not bad for a rookie. But when you're looking at rookie of the year, um, and then and then also, and I know that it's an individual award, but this is something we talked about on the show, how much should team success factor into this? And the fact that the Blues went from worst to basically first, um, 
you know, okay, Jordan Bennington, that he's the one. And, and, you know, that's such a weighted position goalie too, that it matters so much more than everyone else on the rink. When he plays, he has to be on top of his game. Uh, There's a couple games there where the blues really just did not play good defense. And he had to steal the game uh, in order for the blues to make the playoffs. And he did. So mm-hmm. that was the one part of it that made me say, okay, step back. Maybe Jordan Bennington takes this, but in terms of the voters, I think they look at the numbers. They sit, they see what Pedersen did. Because, yeah, you could look at team success and say Bennington had more team success, but Pedersen also did more with less. So it's it's kind of the, uh, you know, which way do you want to look at it? Is it better to get the team success or is it better to look at the guy who had less to work with on his roster and still put together an unbelievable season? Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the, the other thing that I know a lot of people started bringing up too is, you know, why isn't this uh, – a playoff award as well. I mean, if you're, if you're still a rookie, you're still playing in the playoffs. And obviously what Bennington did, you know, if playoffs are considered, I, I don't think that, uh, well, I don't want to say it, but like, a, it's a tough one. It's a tougher look for Pedersen to win the caller at that point, because yeah, he had an amazing start to the season, a couple five point games, even one against the blues, which we should maybe touch on before we finish this conversation, because man, it seemed like after that game, you guys went on an absolute tear, but um, just to close out on the Pedersen point. Yeah. I mean, he, there was certain points of the year, um, where we were kind of worried about him and he was playing less minutes than guys like Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle. Like our bottom six centers are getting played more than him at the end of the season. People are kind of keying on to him a little bit more. So that's why he kind of fell off a little bit. And, you know, the fact that he's never really played at the NHL level, he's, he's never played this many games in his life. And he talked about it after the season that, you know, he needs to go back and work on his cardio. And the way that we see Elias Pettersson, I mean, he was the guy who was last out on the ice. And even if he was still the last guy, he'd go out again to go get some extra work in with the shooting. Like he, he eats, sleeps, breathes hockey. He absolutely loves the game of hockey. We're super excited to see what the future of him is. And I guess the big argument that a lot of people in Vancouver were making, and, and I see what they were going with here because it's an angle that makes it look good for Pedersen. But the fact that Jordan Bennington, I guess, turned 26 before the trophy was even given out and Pedersen was – was, you know, 20 years old at the time. I know a lot of people were ragging on that. <laughs> I think uh, some people in Vancouver are also kind of known for digging up these old Bennington tweets. Look like a smear campaign on Jordan, yeah. the poor guy, for a little bit there. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, – well, that's common. That's that's everywhere. It's not yeah. just Vancouver. <laughs> um, no, that's – I mean, that's true. And, and you know what? Uh, you mentioned that the time they played each other. Pedersen scored in that game, but I remember it went to uh, – it was the last game of the season, and uh, there was a shutout – or a shootout. And uh, Pedersen was uh, one of the guys that got stopped by Bennington. But before that happened, I, I even said, I go, man, I wish Gary Bettman, like before the shot's taken, he walks out to center ice and says, this shot will determine rookie of the year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and if he scores, it goes to Pedersen. If he does it, it goes to Bennington. But you know, when Bennington made that save, I'm like, you know what? Pedersen's probably going to win it. But that's still pretty cool that, hey, at least he made the final save on Pedersen's final shot of the regular season. And uh, I mean, still, I mean, it, again, you know, I know that we, we say all the time, I mean, you look at, we mentioned Barrett Jackman winning the, the Calder trophy. Uh, the guy who took runner up that year, Henrik Zetterberg. Yeah. Zetterberg had a pretty damn good career in the NHL. <laughs> so you don't have to win the Calder to have a good career. So I think we'll hopefully see both these guys return to form next year and uh, battle it out. And maybe they'll uh, see who the better sophomore is. Mm-hmm. Well, before before we kind of move on too much, I wanted to just kind of bring up that game where the Canucks actually, you know, this was a time when the Blues were in a rough shape. I think they were 10, 14, and 4 at the time. 
Uh, the Vancouver Canucks weren't a great team either, but they spanked them that day. And then the game after that, they had that fight uh, with the, uh, Bertuzzo and um, Sanford. Sanford. They ended up fighting like the next practice. And it, it seemed like, I don't know, it still took like a week or two, but that seemed like it kind of sparked the team and brought them together a little bit. So I, I feel like you kind of owe us Canucks fans a little bit because we uh, you know gave you that little push and uh, maybe cranked up the tempo for you guys. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to the guys and I'll, I'll have them bring the cup by for for a day, okay? Absolutely. Oh, we, we had it at the NHL draft, and I looked at all these Canucks fans touching it, and I'm like, don't touch it. Don't touch ah. the damn thing. Everyone's taking pictures with it, hugging it. People are kissing it. I was like, don't. Oh, it's just pissing me off. It's like a – Take the Canucks shirt. jersey off first. Yeah, please, or anything. Start wearing like an Oilers jersey and go touch them. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, I uh, – no, it's it's actually funny. You, uh, you mentioned that. I forgot that that was the Vancouver game right before that. Yeah, that was uh, – that was a spanking. That was one of those that uh, the Blues just, they did not come out to play that night. And I remember yeah. thinking, man, if they could just shut down Pedersen, they're going to be able to, you know, have a chance. Yeah, it didn't happen. They did yeah, not look good. Afternoon game, I think. And I remember heading over to my buddy's house watching it. It was, I think, noon is when it started here. And we always hate those games here in Vancouver, the Sunday nooners, because they, you know, like to sleep in a little bit on my Sundays. But, yeah, waking up and seeing Brock Besser get a hat trick and Pedersen uh, get his second five-point night, uh, that, was, that was pretty fun to watch. But, uh, I, yeah, it, it seemed like at the time I was thinking, wow, like this Blues team, like a lot of people were talking about at the start of the year to be one of the dark horse teams to win the Stanley Cup. You know, at the very start of the year, people are liking the way your guys' roster was kind of shaping out. And then when I first – I think that might have been our first look, actually, of the Blues that this season. Could have been the second game. But um, getting a chance to watch them, I was like, wow, you guys just can't move the puck from your defenseman to your forwards. Like, I, I've always been a huge fan of Tarasenko. I've told people for years he's – you know, when he's on, he's one of the most exciting players to me. I, I love watching him. Like, I think I brought up the NHL video games already, but he's a guy that, like, if I'm doing a fantasy draft, like, I'm picking Tarasenko, man. I, I just love oh, yeah. the way that he, that he plays the game with the combination of speed, hands, and skill. And, you know, the quick release that he has is so amazing. So I've, I've said that for years. Terrace Angle is one of my favorite players to watch. But watching that Blues team that day, I was thinking, like, wow, like, you guys uh, you guys are going to be looking real good with Jack Hughes in your lineup next year at the time. And then Yeah, that was what I was saying. We, we were talking about that. We said, you know, um, at the time, you know, you, you, we didn't want to see him lose. We thought this team's still good. You know, maybe they could at least battle back and, and make it exciting and, and battle for a playoff spot, you know, but – we thought, man, there's no way they're going anywhere. You know, they, uh, we, and multiple times, like even in January and February, when people would complain about a loss, we'd say, well, what do you expect them to win the Stanley Cup this year? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, it, it was, uh, it was just crazy. And, uh, I, I remember listening to a broadcast against the, uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I think it was the first or second time they played them in, uh, it was either late October or early November. And, um, Eddie Olchek was on the call and, and I remember him saying, like, the thing that surprised me about this Blues team is they have no team speed. They can't keep up in this league. And and I when, when he said that, I was like, yeah, I thought maybe they they'd be able to, you know, be fast enough and they'd have the they've got, you know, guys with good hands, they got guys that can crash and bang. So I thought maybe they'll find a way, but when he said that, I was like, oh, he's right. You know, this yeah. team is built on speed and we just don't have it in the lineup. But hey, Coach Berube took over, and, and obviously things changed. The style changed, and um, we saw a, a much different Blues team later there in the season. And I think, uh, again, you you know as well as anyone because you saw the Blues there early in the year, and then you saw them in the last game of the season. Two completely different teams to play against. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's something that, uh, 
you know, it's talked about so much that it's such a copycat league and, and we've almost seen the Canucks kind of copy with the Blues roster is get some, you know, some big defensemen. And we just added Tyler Myers. We've added Michael Furlan. We've added JT Miller. Like these are some guys that uh, can throw the body around a little bit. And uh, it's almost like, it's weird to think because, you know, the Blues, the way that they went on their Stanley Cup run, that wasn't the way that the league was being copycatted. You weren't going to go up and get some of these big guys that can, you guys just destroyed defense cores like throughout the whole playoffs. You just like, you won series single-handedly by doing that some ways and then just having enough scoring to get you by. And obviously the goaltending from Jordan Bennington definitely helped as well. But I think the main thing you guys did was just destroy defense cores. And I think the Canucks have added a couple players in that direction and kind of want to start to go that way a little bit because like, damn man, like you guys destroy Boston's defensive like group and you seem to just kind of make that the whole kind of theme of the playoffs of the Blues. You guys were the bullies on the defense group. And it yeah, was- we really were. And, and, uh, just seeing it against like San Jose, I remember uh, Peter DeBoer coming out and saying that uh, when he he said something like, "I wonder if the Blues are taking pride in, in taking out our best players or something like that." And it, it was just like, "Well, they're playing their game, man." You know, like I, I know that a lot of people said there was a lot of cheap stuff. I don't I don't personally agree. I'm a pretty objective fan. I didn't think the Blues played like uh, headhunters out there, but yeah, I'm sure there was a couple questionable things that people didn't like. But at the same time, it was very. Uh, just up tempo, uh, high, just great high, high octane hockey where guys are are uh, they're just not giving breathing room to the defenseman. I mean, you look yeah. at a guy like Eric Carlson for San Jose who just thrives on on uh, bringing the puck out of his zone and just wheeling through the, the neutral zone. The Blues didn't give him the room to do that. The minute he get the puck on a stick behind the net, there's Pat Maroon or there's uh, 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 Braden Shen just just laying a huge hit on him. I mean. <laughs> They didn't give room to defensemen, and so those those teams that that are built off having the back end skate the puck up, they didn't have a chance against the Blues. And and uh, I think Boston kind of fell in the, into that too because I think Boston plays a very similar style to the Blues. Uh, the Blues just wore them down after seven games, and uh, uh, yeah, Boston still looked like they could win it there in Game Seven, but the Blues smothered them. Um, once Bennington made a couple big saves there in the the first period. It was all over. I mean, the Blues just uh, they they took uh, they they capitalized on their chances and they kept the forecheck up the rest of the game because it was hey guys two more periods and we're out of here. You know that's it. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun hockey to watch here in St. Louis and and I think you're right. I think uh, this is a very much a copycat league. I think once the the Penguins won their first cup there again in uh, uh, was it sixteen um, that uh, that it was all about speed. The league became about speed. Um, but then I think the blues were starting to see, like you said, Vancouver's gotten bigger. I think other teams are looking to get bigger. Philadelphia did that when they went out and got Kevin Hayes, uh, up the middle. Um, they, they, they're looking at it as, okay, well, speed's important, but now we got to worry about forechecking and hitting and, and having big bodies out there to clog up the neutral zone. Cause that's the way the blues did it. And it, it seemed to work for them. Yeah, it's, speed gets you to the playoffs, but what the Blues did kind of wins you the playoffs, and they really showed that. And it was funny, like, at the time, obviously the Canucks were way out of contention, so I was kind of diving into prospects, and I was watching a lot of the United States National Team Development Program, and uh, just, like, I was watching a lot of those games in the USHL, and the USHL teams would kind of go easy on these U18 guys. Then I would switch over to watch, uh, you know, a Stanley Cup final game, where I'm just thinking, like, this isn't even the same damn sport, man. So, like, yeah. you know, hopefully those uh, United States kids can move the puck pretty well. Obviously, they got a lot of skilled guys on that team. And, uh, 
yeah, it was it was definitely night and day watching that hockey and then watching Stanley Cup hockey. Like, how many times you hear Gloria in the last three months? You must just be on repeat at the house or what? Oh, uh, pretty much. Yeah, we. Uh, well, it's funny because my six year old loves Gloria, so <laughs> I, uh, I I all the time he'll just look at me and he'll he'll you know kind of smile and try to say Gloria, and I'll be like, all right, I'll okay, Google play Gloria. So yeah, it's. Uh, it has been played a lot, and it's funny because you know, uh, I, like when I go over to a bar out here, or um, really anywhere that's playing music, and somebody uh, uh, puts on Gloria on the jukebox, or the band decides to play Gloria, the place just goes nuts. I mean, it's it's an instant party when that happens. So it's uh, it's been quite the the fun summer to to witness everybody uh, getting behind the the Gloria, and then obviously the blues. Um, just uh, it's it's unreal, man, and I. I tell you what, and I'm, I'm sincere when I say this. I told you this off air. Vancouver is going to get their day. It's going to happen. I hope it happens soon. I really feel like Vancouver fans are, are just as long suffering as Blues fans. Maybe, maybe, maybe give it three more years, then you guys can win because uh, <laughs> you're three years behind us. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 such a great feeling to win the Stanley Cup. One day, it's going to happen for Vancouver, and uh, the fans are well deserved for it. So. I'm looking forward to it for you guys. Uh, a lot of great fans there in Vancouver. Um, just don't let Todd Bertuzzi touch it, okay? <laughs> yeah, he's doing radio here, so he does like a radio hit every Tuesday. And, and yeah, it's there's a lot of different opinions on him. But uh, you, you sound more positive than every single Canucks fan. I know we're all hoping for a Stanley Cup, but we've been uh, we've been kicked so many times while we're down. Um, we're excited to see what the future is here obviously having a core like Patterson investor come in Quinn Hughes just seen a little splash of him last year there was a great call last year um it was three on three hockey and it was Elias Patterson Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes out in overtime and the play-by-play voice for us John Scharhouse just said all he said was just just take it in Vancouver this is your future and he kind of just let he didn't say anything for like two minutes he just let them just wheel around together looked absolutely amazing and uh yeah, that's that's what we're excited for here. We got Hughes, we got Besser, we got Petey, we got Bo Horvat. I mean, Stetcher. We got a good group of guys, a good young core, and we're kind of building with it. I, I don't, Jim Benning, there's questions about him as a GM, obviously. Some of the moves that he's made recently uh, seems like a guy who's in a lame duck situation. Like, he uh, doesn't have a contract for next year, and he's, he's made quite the push for the playoffs this year. Trading, trading away a first-round pick is a lot to handle, but uh, – yeah, I'm sure your Blues fans don't want to hear me rant too hard about the Canucks, but <laughs> we'll maybe wrap this thing up before I get too crazy here. <laughs> no, no, I actually did want to ask you, because um, I know that the next big goalie prospect is Thatcher Demko. Um, mm-hmm. Are you thinking he's going to be on the team this year? And if so, how, how do you think he'll fare in his rookie year? Well, I, I think actually Thatcher Demko is going to be a huge role this year with the Vancouver Canucks. So obviously, what the situation of the Canucks is right now is that they're a border borderline playoff team. I think at this point, they're, we want to sneak in, but the problem with that is is looking at the teams that made the playoffs last year. Uh, who who doesn't make it right? I mean, we've we're looking at a lot of those teams. A lot of them improved, and uh, the the tough thing is to make the playoffs. When you talk about Thatcher Demko as a backup goalie, who's also like you just mentioned, one of the emerging goalies in this league, we want to see what he can do. And if he is a starter, this is the time to see it. But we have Markstrom who's coming off of a great season, but with Thatcher Demko, I'd love to see him get into 25 games this year. Uh, he had the same save percentage last year as Jacob Markstrom. When they finished the season, there was a couple games. Uh, Demko came in against the Vegas Golden Knights last year after they're getting shellacked and he played amazing. I think there was like six goals on Markstrom in the first period and a half. Demko came in, looked amazing. And at that time, a lot of people were thinking like, okay, like let's see more of this kid. And we've been asking for it for so long. Uh, just to see more of Thatcher Demko because we're excited. The kid improved every single year in, in college. He improved every single year in the AHL. Now that he's at the NHL level, finally, we want to see a ton of them. 
Uh, I'm hoping for 25 games, but the thing about Coach Travis Green, uh, he had Jacob Markstrom when he was the Utica coach in the AHL as well, so he's very familiar with Jacob Markstrom and the player that he is. And at the same time, like Jacob Markstrom took a huge step um, here in Vancouver last year and had a pretty damn good season for himself. So we're gonna, it's you know it, just, it seems like uh, every like five or ten years we have a cycle where we have like a goalie drama in Vancouver. We had obviously Luongo and Schneider for a long time before that. We had uh, the little pigeon cage Dan Cluche backstopping for us. But uh, you know now looking at it, um, it's a good problem to have, I guess. And we want to see the best out of Thatcher Demko. And I think. Uh, I think with the offseason work and, you know, getting a chance to work with an NHL team in the offseason this year and get his first full season, like, I, I expect a lot from this kid. It's, it's good to finally see him at this level, and um, I think he's the starter of the future for the Vancouver Canucks. I, I'm not super sold on Markstrom. I've seen Markstrom for a few years here now, and a lot of a lot of tough goals get past him. I know last year he had a good season and cut a lot of those out, but Thatcher Demko, like, we, we're excited to see what he can do. I want him to be our starter as we move into the future. And then with Team Canada World Junior goalie last year, Michael DiPietro in the wing, it's the goaltending is is probably one of our most solid points actually with the Vancouver Canucks. That's good to see. Yeah, I think that they're a team on the rise. So that is one to watch for Blues fans wondering uh, what's going to come out of Vancouver in the next couple of years. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you coming on here, sir. This has uh, been a lot of fun. Again, this is uh, Chris Faber of, uh, oh, let me make sure I get it right this time. <laughs> uh the the canucks conversation podcast and canucksarmy.com uh chris uh, i want to go ahead and uh, give you time to let my listeners and maybe any canucks fans that might have tuned in for this episode uh let them know where they can find you your show and how they can interact with you on social media absolutely uh if you want some canucks news uh I'm becoming the gift man on Twitter lately. I've been blowing up or gifs, whatever you want to call them. Learned how to do that last uh, last month. So I've been crushing it with those. You can find it on Twitter at ChrisFavor39. Uh, we just did a huge series on uh, the sixth-round pick, Jack Malone of the Vancouver Canucks. So that's a lot of fun if you want to check that out. And uh, I write occasionally at Canucks Army, or you can find the podcast, uh, Canucks Conversation. The, the show is a lot of fun. We just feature the idea of it is to have a conversation about the Vancouver Canucks. I have a conversation with anybody whether it be a fan, somebody in media, we've had former players. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. and It's just the whole show is just having a conversation about the Vancouver Canucks. So if you're into that, uh, at Canucks Combo on Twitter. And uh, thanks a lot for having me on here, Jeff. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, of course, Chris. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Well, I again want to thank Chris for coming on. Make sure you stay tuned with us on Twitter for any show news. Uh, the show Twitter is at LGB Radio. Hosts of the show, Kurt Price, is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note, and myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. So a little programming note that I released on Twitter earlier today, and I'll explain myself a little bit for those who might care. Uh, Monday, August 19th is our next show. I was supposed to have a good friend of mine, Dan Rice. He's a, uh, a longtime Devils reporter, been in the media for as long as I've known him. Um, I was going to have him on for the August 19th show, but uh, for those that know me and, and kind of follow the show, every now and then I travel to New Jersey for my job, and obviously that is where Dan is. It's where he resides and works. So uh, I will potentially be going there in a couple weeks, and I thought, you know, it would be kind of fun to get him on and, uh, you know, do it in person. Uh, at least for us, it'll be fun. I don't know about anybody else. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to push that one back in case... Uh, in case we do get a chance to meet up. So I have uh, pushed forward the Hurricanes podcast. So that is the one that will be coming out 
on Monday, August 19th. Mike from the Cheers Never Win podcast, which obviously is hurricane-centric. That will be uh, the next show. And for those wondering where the New Jersey Devils show will be, that'll be on uh, Monday, September 2nd. So uh, stay tuned for that. If I don't go to New Jersey soon, we'll just record it normally like we've done the rest of these. But uh, again, uh, just a small programming note. Nothing's really changing, just a little bit of reshuffling of when the shows will be posted. So that will conclude this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, everyone, let's go blues. Play Gloria! Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. 